Did you know that inside the tiny nucleus of every microscopic cell in your body are 46 chromosomes that make up your personal DNA? They form a spiral-shaped molecule that's supercoiled, supercoiled so that it fits into a minuscule environment. Supercoiled would be as if you took a string and started twisting at one end until you started getting a coil and then coils of coils, and then eventually coils of coils of coils. Well, your DNA is arranged in coils of coils of coils of coils of coils of coils. And this allows the three billion intramolecular base pairs within each DNA strand that are in each cell to fit into a space that is just six microns across. A micron is one millionth of a meter. One millionth of a meter. And if you stretched out the DNA of just within just one cell, you took that DNA and stretched out those coils, it would be about two meters long. And then if you stretched out all the DNA of all your cells and connected them all together, it would be about twice the diameter of the solar system. Yeah? That's how many cells are in your body. And it, all the DNA in your body's cells put together are twice the distance of the, of the diameter of the solar system. Every detail of our physical being is programmed into this DNA. Every physical characteristic of your body is programmed by that DNA that was created at your conception. In Psalm 139, King David says of God, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it full well. Now, if God was so careful in designing who we are physically, How much care do you think he put into who we are spiritually? Do you know that God gave you spiritual DNA? Did you know that it says that in Romans, in a few verses here, in Romans 12, 3, it says, God has allotted to each of us a particular measure of faith. Ephesians 4, 7 says, to each one, Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Romans 12.6 says, We have spiritual gifts that differ according to the grace that's given to us. These passages refer to what Don Fortune calls your spiritual DNA. Which means there's a unique grace given to you and a unique gift mix for fulfilling the unique plan God has for your life, the unique purpose for your life. Now, a big part of who God made us spiritually is expressed by what the Bible calls spiritual gifts. There are six passages in the Bible that refer to multiple spiritual gifts. The first one is that, that I'm going to refer to is 12, Romans 12, 4 to 8. That has seven gifts listed there. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 11 has nine gifts mentioned. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 to 31 has eight 
gifts listed. Ephesians 4.11 has five. 1 Peter 4.10-11, just two. And 1 Corinthians 7, verses 7 and 8, also has just two, which I've never seen in any gift test yet. I don't know if they're in any. It's worth noting that no one list mentions all the gifts, and no gift is mentioned in every list, and some lists contain gifts that are mentioned in just one list, but no other. And I think what this tells us is that Peter and Paul were not trying to mention every single gift when they were listing them in these passages. What these lists really show us is that there is a huge variety of spiritual gifts in the body of Christ, which, which demonstrate diverse expressions of God's limitless grace in our lives. Now, what is this term, spiritual gifts? Where does it come from? This term, spiritual gifts, comes from the Greek words pneumatika, things of the spirit, and charisma, a tangible expression of grace. Vine's Dictionary of Greek Words tells us that pneumatika always describes something that is both visible or invisible and powerful. Invisible and powerful. All, all references of pneumatika have that inference. And Stephen Wren tells us in his expository dictionary of Bible words that charisma is the expression of limitless and undeserved kindness freely shared. Oh, limitless and undeserved kindness freely shared. Put those definitions together and it makes the invisible visible because we see God's grace in action in spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are a powerful combination, potent expressions of God's limitless love that are meant to powerfully Bless those who are on the receiving end of those spiritual gifts. They're not just a nice gift from God. They're very real expressions of God's love, expressions of God's power inside each one of us. They're an expression of God filling us with an aspect of who He is inside us. These spiritual gifts are manifestations of the invisible God that we worship and follow. Manifestations of God in us. That's what a spiritual gift is. When I first came to Gateway in the mid-1980s from a Baptist background, there were some spiritual gifts I was not very familiar with, uh, such as the gift of prophecy. Very little exposure to that gift. And uh, there was a prophetic conference held at Gateway where John Paul Jackson came to speak. And in one of those meetings, John Paul Jackson picked Fiona and I out of the crowd, out of this big crowd of people. And that was the time that John Paul Jackson, he gave a prophetic word and the Lord spoke to us about, about having children when Fiona's kidney specialist had told us not to have, that, that, that having children would, would, would kill her. And, uh, wow, there's an expression of God's love and power 
But it doesn't have to be a big public scene like that for God's love and power to be expressed. That impacted us. But I believe that every time a spiritual gift is expressed, it's expressing God's love and God's power. And he wants to do that through you, through each one of you in this room. Now I want to talk about two important fundamentals of spiritual gifts. The first of those fundamentals is that spiritual gifts are of God and from God. That's what I've been talking about. That spiritual gifts are of God. They're, they're of Him. A manifestation of God. And they're from Him. 1 Corinthians 12.11 says that God distributes them according to His will. It's up to Him. Romans 12.6 says God gives gifts according to the grace that He gives us. 1 Corinthians 4.10 says each has received a gift. We receive them because God has given them. 1 Corinthians 7, 7 says, Each person has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. This is highly significant because anything that's of God and from God that he gives to us is not meant to be neglected. <laughs> Why would we want to neglect something that's from Almighty God that He's given to us? But it's quite possible to do that. It's quite possible to neglect something that's of God and from God that He's given us. In 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul writes to Timothy, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. Kindle afresh. That word kindle means fan into full flame. And Paul's inference here, by the way he exhorts Timothy, he uses the word remind. He's reminding Timothy is that fires can go out. He even had to remind Timothy. One of these main characters of the New Testament Apparently, even Timothy allowed his gift to weaken so that Paul had to remind him of it. Perhaps you feel that way about a spiritual gift that you've walked in in the past. Perhaps there isn't a fire in you like there used to be. Perhaps you've grown tired, just tired. Or perhaps you feel powerless because your life with God isn't, isn't quite what it used to be. And it just feels, there's just no power there anymore. Or perhaps you've, you felt like you embarrassed yourself operating in that gift in some time in the past and, and you just don't want to risk it anymore. No, you're holding back now. I'm not, not going to let that happen to me again. Or perhaps you've compared yourself to others and decided you're just not gifted enough. Maybe you feel that way. And that's why you need to be reminded of the gift that's in you. Well, guess what? All of us, all of us have felt that way at times. I have. And I believe all of us have that in common. Those are vulnerabilities we all face. And the only antidote is to get 
our eyes off of ourselves and onto the one who is the source of this love and this power, the source of these spiritual gifts. All these things are from him, and we can receive them from him as we reach out to him. Wayne Grudem points out that the strength of a spiritual gift depends on a combination of divine and human influence. Divine and human influence. In other words, we need to desire the gifts and then to go to God for the gifts. And then he will give us the grace that sets our gifts ablaze. He'll fan the flame again. Do you desire spiritual gifts? Do you desire gifts from God? It's an important question because often our desire for spiritual gifts can be dulled by our pursuit of worldly things, things that are very attractive in this world that we end up giving our time to, giving our energy to, giving our passions to, until our desire for spiritual things is dulled because we found satisfaction in lesser things. Well, God instructs us in 1 Corinthians 14.1 to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire them. Don't let your desire be dulled. Be zealous in your pursuit of these gifts. And when Paul writes to Timothy about spiritual gifts, he uses words like, take pains with these things. Immerse yourself in them. Fan them into flame. That's how he instructs us. That's how we're meant to handle something that's of God and from God. Immerse yourself in it. Take pains to lay hold of it. Can you think of anything, an example of anything in your life that you do this with? That you immerse yourself with? Take pains to lay hold of? Anything at all that in your life you do that with? I have a friend who who has a beard. It's an amazing beard. It's a wonderful beard. And he loves his beard. He's researched how to take care of beards on the internet. He's gone out and he's found special oils with special fragrances to put in his beard. He's bought a special comb for grooming his beard. He's found a special barber who knows how to trim his beard properly so it looks like like the one you see behind me. He loves his beard. And he fusses so much about his beard at home that his teenage daughter has asked him, Stop talking about the beard! Please stop talking about the beard. I have beard envy. That's what it can mean to take pains with these things. To immerse yourself in them. Hopefully he doesn't fan it into flame. But with spiritual gifts, we do it with our eyes on God, not by looking in the mirror. We're not... Well, there's another point, another fundamental that I want to emphasize about spiritual gifts. The American theologian Wayne Grudem says that spiritual gifts, that a spiritual gift is an ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and intended for use in a ministry of the church. It's intended for use in a ministry of Christ's body. 
In other words, this next fundamental we're talking about is that we're not here for ourselves. Spiritual gifts are not given for our own benefit, but to strengthen something bigger. The body of Christ, of which we are a part. Congolese theologian David Casali wrote that the point of Paul's different lists of spiritual gifts are not meant for the purpose of listing every gift, but to emphasize that his readers were to serve in the community with in the community with whatever ability God has given you. Of all these abilities, all these gifts listed, serve with one of those. That's the emphasis. And Paul encourages Christians to use their gift to build up the church. Nigerian theologian Datiri Dachalom writes that the reason Paul's analogy in 1 Corinthians 12 of each gift representing a different part of the body is so appropriate is because body parts never envy one another. They never look down on one another. The different parts of the body all need each other just as individual Christians need each other. Look at 1 Corinthians 12.7. It says spiritual gifts are for the common good. 1 Corinthians 14.5 says they are so that the church may be built up. They're not for ourselves. They're for others. 1 Corinthians 14.12 says that they are for the edification of the church. 1 Peter 4.10 says use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. The gifts are given so that we would need one another. The gifts are given so that we would care for one another. They're all about one another. What good is a gift if there's no one to care for with that gift? What good is a gift if it's expressed all by your lonesome? They're meant to edify the body of Christ. We need each other and we care for each other. On March 24th, 1936, the Chicago Daily Tribune published an article entitled Blind Student Teams Up with Armless One. It's an interesting headline. Thomas Howard Overton, 31 years old, is blind. And Stanley A. Kasperzik, 32 years old, is armless. They have pooled their faculties to assist each other through their freshman year at the Chicago-Kent School of Law. The pooling of their physical resources developed by chance on the first day as freshmen at the school when Kasperzik guided the blind Overton down a flight of steps. When they came to a door, the armless Kasperzik could not turn the handle and open it. Overton could. Moreover, Overton could carry books, but could not read them. Kasperzik could read them, but not carry them. Overton could write and type, which Kasperzik could not. Sometimes, reflected Overton, I think Stanley does more for me than I do for him. I take notes in class with a punch on a braille foam board, Overton said. Out of class, Stanley reads them to me, and I transcribe the notes on the typewriter for him. I almost knocked out one of his teeth with a beer stein when I first tried to help him down one. (laughs) Kasperzik added, Thomas also puts my hat and coat on and adjusts my tie. Overton, though blind graduated at the top of his class of 175 students. 
After receiving this honor, he insisted, of course, that half the credit should go to his friend, Stanley Kasperzik. That's caring for one another. That's needing one another with the strengths that you have. That is how we as a body, with all our strengths and weaknesses, and you can see how that makes weaknesses useful. Because it makes those with a complementary strength needed. We need one another. If I didn't have any weaknesses, I wouldn't need any of you. And I actually need all of you. Because I have a lot of weaknesses. That's what spiritual gifts are for. They're for helping, complementing each other. Blessing one another, encouraging one another, strengthening one another, edifying one another. And as we do so, we do all this with love because as Paul emphasizes in 1 Corinthians 13, no matter how great our gifts are, no matter how great they are, if we're not expressing them with love for others, they're literally useless. They must be expressed in love. And this means that no one's gift is unimportant. I need you. Sir Michael Costa was a great orchestral conductor of the 19th century. One day he was conducting a rehearsal in which the orchestra was joined by a massive choir. The choir and the orchestra were playing together and singing together. And midway through the session, the piccolo player stopped playing for some unknown reason. It seemed like a small thing, after all. Who would miss the tiny piccolo amidst the sound of the great choir and the massive instruments blazing away? But all of a sudden, Sir Michael Costa stopped the entire orchestra and choir and yelled, Stop! Stop! What's happened to the piccolo? Hmm. Perhaps as a pastor, if I suddenly, when I suddenly become aware of a particular place in this busy community where a vital gift is lacking. I ought to shout out amidst all the busyness, Stop! Stop! Where's the server? What's happened to the server? Because we know God has provided all that we need. We know that all the gifts that are necessary are in our midst. What's happened to that gift that isn't being expressed? It's there. That's why Paul had to remind Timothy, fan your gift into flame. Your gift is needed. No person's gift is insignificant. Every spiritual gift is from God and needs to be in operation in the body of Christ in order for us to offer a clear and complete and a harmonious sound. So what stops us? Eric Rees from Saddleback Church says four things have potential to hinder a harmonious sound. Number one, comparison. When we place greater value on the more visible gifts, leading either to pride or to feeling insignificant. Number two, projection. 
when we expect others to be good at the same thing we excel at by projecting our gifts onto them. They ought to have that gift. They ought to be good at that. Why isn't everybody good at that? Rejection. When we refuse to accept the gift God has given us. Number four, deception. When Satan manipulates us into believing, we have a gift that we we actually don't have, thereby distracting us from operating in our true gifts. All those things are things we probably can relate to. There's a reason why Paul began the passage in spiritual gifts in Romans 12 with the words, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. This highlights that the only way to truly embrace the purposes for which God has uniquely gifted us, the only way to embrace them, is to lay our lives down. Lay our lives down. Lay down that pride that hinders us from operating in our gift. Lay down that hindrance of rejection, of saying, That's, I want a different gift. Lay down whatever is hindering us. It's the posture, someone who lays their life down is the posture of a person who realizes that we're not here for ourselves. We're here for God and for others and for the purposes He calls us to. We don't naturally think this way. Naturally, left to our natural fleshly desires, we prefer to serve our own comforts and conveniences and our own appetites. And that's why Paul goes on to write, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. When we as new creations are transformed by the truths of God's word, we stop thinking the way the world thinks. We stop thinking the way our flesh thinks. And we begin thinking in ways that put others before ourselves and prefer God's purposes for our lives, wherever that leads, whatever that means. Then Paul Paul goes on to write of humbly pursuing our function in the body according to how we're gifted. Then he goes on and provides that gift list in Romans 12. And if the spiritual gift we have, if the spiritual gift we have makes us a body part in the body, a unique body part that God is, in the body that God has jointed us to, then the way to use that gift is by using it in that very body, in the ministry of that very body that God has joined us to. That's where those gifts are meant to be expressed. It may be an outward ministry, out beyond these walls. It may be an inward ministry within these walls. But God has joined you to this body so that your gift would be expressed in this body because you're a body part of this body. We need you. But did you know that Paul spoke not not only of being members of a body in Romans 12 verse 4, but also of being members of one another in Romans 12.5. The NIV actually says each member belongs to all the others. I got to give my head a shake when I hear that. It, It sounds a bit like marriage. 
We belong to each other. That's how much we need each other. When each of us is just one part of the same shared body, we belong to each other and truly need each other's gifts to be expressed for the body that we're a part of to be complete. The body I'm a part of is incomplete unless all the gifts, all the parts are operating properly. Has God joined you to Gateway? Then God has a fruitful place for you to serve in this body. Guaranteed. Where is that for you? Where would that be for you? Maybe you're already operating in a part of the body in which you're thriving and totally suited for totally gifted in. Or you may be involved in a way that actually leaves you feeling more like a round peg in a square hole. You're just feeling it's not a great fit, but you're trying, you're doing, you're doing something, you're helping, but you just don't feel fulfilled in it. Or thirdly, you may not be involved anywhere, and the body is missing your contribution. Well, in each of those latter two cases, you either already have a sense of how you're gifted and you just haven't found a way to serve, or you simply don't know how you're gifted. And and many don't. Either way, there's a place at Gateway waiting for you to contribute your your gift, whether it be in an existing ministry or in a new one that God wants you to start. So we want to help you with that. We want to help you find your gifting, find your place in the body. What I've discovered as a pastor over the years, I, 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 I'm surprised how often this happens, that when I ask a person, this has happened many times at Gateway, when I ask a person, what's your spiritual gift? They don't know. They don't know, or, they're, or they, they sort of know, but they're not sure. It's common. And we want to help you find what your gift is and what your place in the body is so that you can put your gift into action and experience the satisfaction of operating in your spiritual sweet spot so that others are blessed by your contribution. So there's an insert in your bulletin to do with a spiritual gifts assessment. Now, I've seen a great many gift tests in my day Ever since a teenager, I've been doing gift tests, and I've never seen one like this one. Never. I used to have, there used to be another one I would recommend. I don't like it anymore. Once I saw this one, this is, this is the best gift test I have ever seen. And I'll tell you why, because it's, it's, it revealed something about myself that I didn't already, I didn't already know. Gift tests that just tell you what you already know are, are, are just not thorough enough. And I remember when I looked at the results of this test, it connected dots that I'd never connected before. It made me go, wow, that makes sense. All of a sudden, it was like my eyes opened, and I said, oh, that explains some things. It was very, very useful in that sense. And I, I feel like I know myself pretty well. But I found myself surprised. Part of the reason it's so accurate is because it's three assessments in one. It's doing three assessments. It starts with a grace gifts assessment. So it's assessing your spiritual gifts. 
And then it has a personality assessment that's based on the Myers-Briggs personality test. The Myers-Briggs personality test has been around for about 70 years. And they have found that over those 70 years, assessing, because you're, I'm not talking about the pared down Myers-Briggs test that you can do for free on the internet. I'm talking about the, the real thorough one that you actually need a trained um, leader to provide. People get trained to offer the Myers-Briggs test and to help you assess the results. And as they've done those with trained leaders, they've found over the years 85 to 90% accuracy rating. 85 to 90% accurate is pretty good. And so they're basing this on the Myers-Briggs, but they're using Christian questions, church-related questions in the test, which makes it very useful. Myers-Briggs with a Christian flavor to it. And then there's a leadership style assessment. Plus, oh, and by the way, don't write yourself off on that one. Like some people would say, I don't need a leader's assessment. I'm not a leader. Yeah, we're leaders. Everybody is in a position at some point or another where you're leading. Whether It may be you're a mother or a father, just simply leading your family, uh, leading your kids. There's just various ways leadership is expressed. And that leadership style assessment is very useful. Plus, there's a skills profile that you can fill in, which is a fourth thing. And all four of these things complement one another. Especially those three assessments. Those three assessments to have, end up with results that overlap. And when you see where they overlap, you see things reinforced. And you suddenly realize, that's my sweet spot. That's where I'm really suited for things. Each of these three assessments takes about 15 minutes, depending on how fast you go. Some people labor over the questions more than others. I don't recommend that. I don't recommend you just laboring and thinking too hard about each question. Go fast. Go with your gut feeling on every question, and you'll tend to find your gut feeling more accurate than if you overthink things. So it takes about 15 minutes or 10 to 20 minutes, depending on the person. So it could take you anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes to do all three assessments. That's not bad. That's not much. And the tests can only be done online. You go online. It's a link that's shown on your insert. And you register. The registration is real simple. You just put your name, your address, and your email address. And don't worry about putting your street address. They don't send you any mailings. I don't know why they want it, but they want it. And you won't get any mailings. You won't even get any emails. It's just... They're for reference purposes to tell one Ken Peters from another. There are more than one Ken Peters, actually. There's one in Steinbeck. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, we want you to register and just include those other details in your registration. And then, once you've registered, um, you, you'll be guided through the process of taking the assessments. Very simple. Uh, you can't pay for these online, but they do cost us money. And the... The exp- all we're asking is that people would pay $5, um, $5 for all three assessments. And the way you would do that is by just filling out an envelope. You could fill out um, an offering envelope with gift test written on it and just simply put $5, put your name. It's important to have your name so we know who's paid for these gift tests. And also, if you're in a group, if you're in your... 40 days group. We're encouraging 40 days groups to do these tests. You're gonna, an email is going to go out to all the leaders, to all the cell groups, and all the 40 day groups with that link. And they're going to distribute, the leaders are going to distribute it to everyone in their groups. So you'll have the link on an email as well. And all you have to do is click on it, it'll take you there. And uh, 
your leaders may also have an envelope in, their, in the group to collect money. You can pay there if you don't want to pay with an offering envelope here. But we want everyone to take this test. Everyone. Teenagers and older. Everybody. It, w- it would be wonderful. Now, I'm not sure some of the questions would be totally suited for junior highs. I'm not sure how easily a junior high would be able to assess themselves in some of the questions. So I kind of recommend senior high teenagers and older would be great to have all of doing this test. Even if you think you know what your spiritual gifts are. I did. And I learned some things about myself. So if you're in a small group, they're going to collect that $5 there. And at the end of the 40-day campaign, at the end of that campaign of discovering what on earth am I here for, we're going to add to our website, to the Gateway website, a ministries opportunity page. This ministry opportunities page is going to be listing places in Gateway where we, where, we, where we would love somebody to get involved. Somebody who is suited for that role. It may be something brand new. It may be a role that no one has ever had at Gateway before. A new ministry, a new opportunity. Or it may be opportunities within existing ministries. But it'll be a, a, a page on the website where you can scan, hey, where can I get involved? How can I be a part of this body? And we encourage every small group using the 40-day material, to, when, when, when the whole thing is over, when, when, uh, when, when you've watched your last video, the, the week of mid-March, on that next week, between the 20th and the 25th of March, we'd encourage your group, whatever night your group meets on, to get together and to go over your spiritual gift tests. That is really an exciting thing to do because it's an opportunity to really affirm one another and to encourage one another and to say, yeah, yeah, let's pray about that for you. Let's pray God gives you an opportunity to put that into practice. And it's a a chance to just get around each other and encourage each other. I'd encourage all the groups to do that that week after you've watched after you've watched the final video. And then you can go back to that ministry's opportunity page and look again and say, hey, where can I serve? After you've been affirmed and encouraged in your group. Of course, I don't encourage people, once they find out their gift mix, to quit things that they've made a commitment to until, you know the end of June or something like that. Like, like if Fiona heard I was encouraging people to do that, to quit children's ministry because they suddenly find out that they're not suited for it, uh, I'd be hearing about it at home. Uh, please don't do that. Please be assured, though, our goal in this, I really, the message, of, the last thing I want you to hear is that our goal in this is just to fill vacancies. That's not what it's about. It's not about filling vacancies. Our goal is for God to be greatly glorified as, as we operate in the gifts that he's given us. And for you to find greater satisfaction in serving God as you grow in the spiritual gifts he's given you.